Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Honest Retail. Uh, very excited to have Dean Eberhardt from Hoplark Tea uh, with the program today. Uh, I've known Dean for a couple of years. I know CJ has been really connected with him as well. And we're really excited to get um, kind of our first founder of a CVG product um, on the show. Uh, it's been a big focus of ours. It's going to be a big focus of ours going forward. And so I uh, was really excited to get Dean on. Um, Taylor will not be joining us this week. She'll be back next week. Um, and then we'll kind of keep this, this fourth seat rotating. So Dean, um, if you want to give a little introduction on yourself um, and kind of what you're doing um, over there, it'd be great to, to kind of give that out to our listeners. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, Cameron, CJ, thanks so much for having me. Uh, yeah, so I'm in Boulder, Colorado. We launched a beverage brand back in 2018 at a farmer's market, this idea of mixing hops and tea together and making this like zero calorie, but flavorful taste experience um, work. And so it's been, it's been a wild ride. You know, we're, our, our big brand commitments are to really um, strong ingredient integrity, keeping it simple and clean, and then having these like amazing flavor experiences for our customers. So our primary, like, like, main product that folks might have seen is hop tea um, and that's that's across the country and a lot of retailers and then we also have uh, some waters and then are, are just in the process of launching a, a zero zero product um, into uh, the non-alcoholic beer category so yeah it's been a fun little ride so thanks so much for having me Awesome. And so let's kind of talk about um, brands that caught our eye um, over the last week. Um, I can start because two, uh, one of them I shared in the group chat that me, uh, CJ and Taylor have, which is this product called Bowza, which is actually half bow buns, half pizza. Um, and so uh, these kind of like gimmicky products don't usually catch my eye, but I had a, I had a demo actually with the brand last week, thought it was pretty cool, ordered them off gold belly. Um, and the product was actually really good. Um, and so I think it's kind of, it's got some legs. It'll be interesting to see where they go. Um, and they've been really, um, this, you know, they've been blowing up quite a bit, but I, I also really like brands that have a little bit of virality to it, have a network effect. Cause obviously like I'm going to send it to my group chat. I'm going to send it to my friends and then they'll try it. Uh, and coming from a you know person that used, I used to work for a chocolate hummus company. Like I've seen the power of that. It's just like, where are you going to go next as a brand? Cause you kind of, kind of got to keep upping the bar. So I'm excited to see where they're going to be going. Um, and the second one is Perfy. So, um, it's a new nootropic adaptogenic soda, uh, brand. Um, I'm not like a big Olipop or poppy drinker, um, but I did really like this product. Um, I liked the branding, uh, really like the founder. So excited to see um, kind of Perfy come through. I know they're doing a lot of things with like NFTs in their community as well. Um, so super excited to see kind of where they go. Um, Dean, I'm sure you're kind of always searching out new beverages and things, anything that caught your eye over the last week or two? My, um, It's definitely true. Uh, my wife does not love how many uh, packages of beverages show up at our door where I take one sip of something and maybe don't drink the rest, um, but I have to try something. I'm addicted to the experience of it. Um, but I tried a couple, I had a couple of cool ones. So uh, for Valentine's Day, bought a box of um, Last Crumb, a cookie company out of LA that I thought um, I kind of caught my attention on Instagram and they do a really like restricted sales um kind of approach where they're they only release a certain amount of batches every so often um i think it's a clever e-commerce technique uh the cookies were legit like they were really good um i'm trying to be healthy in february so it was like not helpful for that there was like a s'mores cookie that tasted it was like it was pretty pretty amazing um and then i bought i, I got some acid league um bourbon barrel aged uh, apple cider vinegar um, that was pretty legit. Um, not really like a thing. I'm, I'm like addicted to anything bourbon barrel age. So, um, so that was really fun. And I thought, I thought it was a really impressive product. Interestingly enough, like, I didn't know you liked bourbon barrel aged. You, you'll, you'll see a direct correlation with the amount of bourbon barrel aged wine products coming out with the fires. Um, cause you can, oh, use, yeah. you can use smoke tainted wine to go, to go into a bourbon barrel age. So like all of a sudden you're going to see every, every major producer release <laughs> Something bourbon barrel age because they have they have wine that they would have otherwise had to destroy. Crazy. 
CJ, how about you? Anything kind of over Super Bowl weekends? Um, you know, kind of in keeping on the Valentine's Day thing, I, I, I checked out this, um, it's a paper flower company called Unwilted. Um, and, you know, you know, I kind of was digging into the overall like idea around supply chain and kind of this insane concept that most of the flowers that we buy are from either South America or Africa. Um, and just like, it was like how kind of patently ridiculous that seems on face and like, and, and then just the idea of like how difficult a supply chain must be to have constantly wilting things um, in your gift shop. I, I can just, I can sympathize with that. Um, and they were, they were pretty, you know, I, I mean, you're never going to be able to fully recreate how beautiful a flower is, but the, um, the, the, the craftsmanship was beautiful and they're supposed to last for a long time. Um, so I sent them to a couple of folks, um, for, for Valentine's Day. I wish I had an example to show in the video, but I don't have one right here. Um, but other than that, like knowing that Expo West is coming up in a couple of weeks, I'm kind of been like taking a little hiatus of trying products, like almost like fasting, yeah. you know, you're going to a really good restaurant, um, <laughs> because I'm just going to be inundated to come up here pretty soon. Yeah. I always saw the team, like before you walk the show, like have, like I'm usually personally skip breakfast, like fast till noon, but not on trade show days. Cause like, if you go into that situation and like my whole breakfast is just sampling stuff, you're going to be sick by like one o'clock. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm ready though for, for Expo West. That should be exciting. And we should have a lot of brands to kind of chat about that week after that show. Um, all right, well, let's kind of dive in before we go through some of the more structured topics. I know the monster and constellation news kind of keeps coming up. Um, CJ, I'm happy to kind of kick this over to you to start because i know you kind of had yeah, um some insights yeah. on it I've been, I've been i've been having some conversations with folks that are kind of in the room or around the people who are in the room and like we've talked about this before and i've always been kind of like super adamant about like hey there's no way this is going to happen because of coca-cola like coca-cola owns 20 percent of monster almost all of monsters locked up in coca-cola bottling agreements and distribution agreements um, and like that would basically make this a nightmare. And what I'm what I'm now starting to hear kind of rumors are is that like Coca-Cola is pro this. Um, and it, it, like if that becomes the case, um, and and these things matriculate, like then all of a sudden it starts to make a lot more sense. Like you know when you know when, when I was looking at routes to market, like okay, you know without without Coca-Cola's you know okay, Monster can't sh shift its distribution over to the gold houses through Reyes, which is what, what makes Constellation so strong. You can't put Corona through the, the Coca-Cola um, distribution routes that Monster is using. So it really didn't make any sense unless Coca-Cola is like saying, hey, if, you know, we're ready to move beyond our minor tests with like Topo Chico with Molson Coors and, and um, you know, what's that, that, that grapefruit beverage? Oh, um, Fresca? Fresca? Yeah, Fresca with Constellation. Like, this, if this happens, I think it's a much larger signal that Coke is really, really intrigued with DevAlk. And like, when you look at the market cap, just to keep it in perspective, like Constellation and Monster roughly parity down around 40 billion. Coke's like a $300 billion company. Um, so it, 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 is, it is larger than the market caps of all the major liquor suppliers combined. Um, so it's just, it's just really interesting. I, I think if you start to hear that this is moving towards towards an actual merger and acquisition, everyone needs to keep in mind that that's, that means Coke has blessed it. And if Coke has blessed it, Bevelco is about to change. Dean, as, uh, as now kind of a veteran in, in the beverage industry, any kind of insights to add on what CJ just went through? I think it's like, well, it's fascinating because, you know, as a, as a founder who's, you know, relatively early stage and growing, like, like you, you kind of, you pay attention to these things and watch kind of like, the, the movement of the tides in the industry, I think with interest, like I think it's all very compelling to me, but I, I it's not, you know, it doesn't feel maybe directly actionable in my world at all. So I'm not, I'm not as maybe in, in, in the game on it, but I do, um, I do find the whole, you know, so, you know, so the monster acquisition of Oscar Blues a couple of weeks ago, you know, that's, you know, there, that led to a closure of an Oscar Blues tap room a mile and a half from my house here in Boulder. And like, there's a whole thing about it. Like it's, it, that one's really um, clear and present and local for us, which is, which is pretty cool. And I see, I see the connection there. So I think there's like, it's, it's for sure uh, going to be cool to see what happens. Um, you know, monster is this monster in the space and it'll like, there's a lot of potential there. 
Yeah, no, I think it's something we'll definitely keep tabs with. Um, I don't have too much to add, but I'm super excited to see kind of how it plays out. Um, all right, well, we'll kind of go into the first topic this week. This one's got a bit of setup, so just kind of follow me on this one. But uh, one of the brands that we like to talk about, uh, we've talked about it a few episodes back as Midday Squares. Um, basically, over the last week, Nick over at MD Square, uh, Midday Squares uh, DM'd Andrea over at Snackshot, basically letting them know, hey, we're about to make a diss track um, for Hershey. Uh, because Hershey's was about to sue them for uh, packaging that they were going through. And so, hey, we're going to make a diss track. We're going to then turn those diss track, that diss track into 500 NFTs. We're going to release it out to our community. And I guess Andrea then like posted it and it wasn't really supposed to be posted yet. This like white paper that she linked to had a bunch of typos, like a bunch of spelling mistakes. And it was just like, hey, listen, like this was pretty kind of raw and like it wasn't something that was supposed to go out. And then obviously Midday Square said, okay, well, this is just part of our marketing strategy. We document everything. Grab your camera phone. Let's talk like let's see our organic expression, seeing this hit. Um, you know, the internet and let's just talk through it, document it and do what we always do. So whether it was kind of planned or not planned, I think that's kind of up for a debate, but I think everything they, they, that they do similar to like liquid death is always really cutting edge. And I think that they do a really great job of just documenting everything. And so you feel from the day you discovered midday squares to like whenever they IPO or sell or whatever, that you went through the entire journey with them. And so Dean would love to just kind of chat with you, like, when you're thinking about marketing strategies and building that community, like how are you guys approaching it? And then what's your thoughts on, you know, a midday square or, you know, a liquid death and kind of their uh, approach to, to brand building and community building? Yeah, I mean, I, I love everything about it. I've been a fan of the brand since probably pretty early 2020 when I discovered them and, you know, have been addicted to their content ever since. Like, it's so fun to watch and have that experience and the vibrancy of it. Um, I think it really works for them. I think that it's hard. Like one of the things that we're really, um, that's really core and foundational for us is our authenticity and just around like, like the, the product that we try and create is like, and we make it ourselves and, and it's this real ingredient, real process. Um, and we wanna be really authentic to our own journey um in uh in kind of on the marketing side of the business and that and that thus far that has meant like let's not run at a tiktok craze or something like that but i think that what we have learned and where we're going this year is like our customers really care about the fact that we do make the product ourselves the fact that there's a story behind everything we make and kind of the product journey and we have this great opportunity to do a better job capturing that you know that journey from maybe idea to limited release I'm drinking right now or cacao nibs one we launched a couple of days ago that is basically like refreshing chocolate in a can it's kind of wild um and like and like how do we how does the team think of that how do we create the label how do we you know run the process like there's a lot of I think we see opportunity for behind the scenes activation um where in maybe a COVID world we were being like more concerned about um other things like obviously COVID's still going on, but we see we see a lot of um, a lot of fun to come for that. And I think for us, midday squares is like leading the charge on showing what's possible there. So really fun to watch them and really impressed with what they've done. Yeah, I think it's it's just really fun just as a consumer and as a fan to just kind of watch the whole process um, and just watch them be unabashedly themselves with with the whole process. Um, CJ, as an investor. Like, you know, I know we had Kiva on a few episodes back. I believe, you know, he is an investor in Midday Squares as well. Is there any part of you that's like, okay, should we really be like dissing or poking at the oh, big boys absolutely. where where oh, we should have an acquisition in the future? Does this hurt us? Do people want to stay away from us? Or are you just embracing the chaos? No, I mean, like, I think it's like, it's not chaos. Like they've, like to Dean's point, they've completely demonstrated that this is their brand DNA. Like, like a diss track for them is the most natural thing that I could possibly imagine coming out of the way they've positioned the brand. So I'm all, I'm all for stuff like that. Like my, my, I, I love their marketing. My, my one question here is like, why does this need to be an NFT? Um, like, like I, like I, I am a big believer in, in what NFTs can, can do. And like, if, if you, you know, if you kind of read the article that, that is, is talking about this, like at the very end, they're like, Oh yeah. And, um, you know, if this NFT resells, you know, portion of it's going to go back to making sure the community is having fun. Like, and that, like, that's just not a strong enough reason for it to be an NFT, especially since I'm so pro 
using like NFTs to, to, to drive more ownership and, and like deeper relationships between the power consumers and companies. So like, that's my only question. I love the marketing. I love everything about it. It makes perfect sense. Why NFT? That, that's actually a question I have for you, Dean. Like, like no, like you guys have such rabid fans and customers. Like I think you mentioned to me when we first met, like your number one UGC is a picture of Hoplark and a steering wheel in the background because people people want to take a picture of it and drink it before they even get home. Yep. Do, you, do you think about like <clears throat> whether or not there's you know a way to drive community um, better through through NFTs? And then like second part to that question, like. And this is where it can kind of get muddled. NFTs can also drive financial value, but so can crowdfunding. Um, and, and, and no doubt your, you know, your, your CRM list probably contains thousands of people that'd be interested in the crowdfunding campaign. Like, how do you think about the two? How do you separate them? Um, do you think about them at all? Um, I think, I mean, I've, I've been adjacently paying attention. I know enough to be dangerous about this Web3 NFT world. I think that I have some personal maybe challenges with what's going on right now. There seems to be a lot of like news around maybe problematic um, kind of scammy based stuff going on in NFT launches and stuff. So I'm, I have some caution, like major caution flags around it. And then there's this like kind of a fundamental gap in the sustainability story for me um, that isn't totally solved where we're you know dri driving a ton of um, a ton of like energy consumption around the validation metrics on some of these things. I don't know enough about that. So I don't want to like speak out of turn, but it seems like maybe enough of a question that it could be um, worth looking at. The community side of this is fascinating um, because there's so much power in community and connection. I think that like that's the piece that even if whether it's an NFT, kind of like the conversation with Midday Squares, like Midday Squares, we're never going to be as amazing as they are a content creation. They have an engine, they're, they're like personality driven to it. They're culturally driven to it. Like, great, we will we'll never be that. Let's not try to be that. Let's try and be our own thing, but we can use them as an example. And I wonder if like, like NFTs for us for the next couple of years look similar to that. Like actually is the, is the core power of this thing community and, um, and like, uh, loyalty, like a, like a loyalty platform. And maybe we actually should lean into something that's maybe a little more um, understood by the average consumer. Um, and, and then also, um, uh, and, and that, but, but use the NFT world as an example to, uh, to drive what we do. I mean, listen, it's, it's a gold rush. There's a ton of opportunity there. Like if someone wanted to do a deep dive as an entrepreneur and start some stuff, like they could do a lot. I mean, but it's, for me, sitting on the sidelines, I'm a little bit like, huh, what can this actually show us is happening in culture right now that could help drive a, you know, a positive result for our customers? Yeah, and I think, I think for you guys, I mean, the cool thing is, is you're constantly launching new limited time offers, right? So like almost on like a quarterly or monthly basis, you have new flavors dropping and a customer that might be their favorite one. And so instead of like, just like what you used to do as a customer, just wait for them to come out each year. Now it's almost like, Hey, this new drop is also being accompanied by like a hundred NFTs of like custom cans of that skew. And now you're able to show your loyalty to Hoplark by owning kind of that NFT of that one skew, like things like that, where it builds loyalty and like community makes sense. I do agree, CJ, like it seems a little forced like here where it's like diss track, concert, everything cool. And it's like NFT. It's like, well, this kind of just seems like thrown in where it's like, if they said like the tickets are going to be NFTs, that then gets you into a concert where we're going to live perform the diss track. And now you're part of the music video. Like that's kind of like cool where you're using it as kind of like an entrance to it. Um, but yeah, I think like when it comes to like midday squares, like who am I to critique it? Like they're, they're, they're crushing right. it. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. And you just got to kind of trust the process. Cool. So I think one of the things I wanted to chat about, and we'll kind of jump around here on topics, but I, Dean, you had kind of mentioned, um, you know, everything that happens with with COVID and kind of worrying, you know, trying to build out the community and everything. One of the things that's kind of hit brands and what I want to talk to you about today was like the iOS changes. And I'm sure like Facebook ads and, and you're trying to acquire new customers over the last year has changed quite a bit. And I, we talked to brands, you know, on a monthly basis or a weekly basis here, we talk about, you know, the kind of this issue and how they're looking at customer acquisition and things. And I actually believe it was you that kind of talked to me. It was like, 
uh, that you had mentioned to me, like, hey, listen, we want customers trying the product in store, but ultimately driving them to a subscription online. And that always stuck with me. Um, and so we just kind of want to see how you're approaching customer acquisition and kind of this change with Facebook ads or now Meta, um, you know, for, for the building the brand online. Yeah, I mean, we see we see both we see both behaviors of customers. So we, we have a ton of um, consistent repeat purchase of like a core SKU, whether that's in a grocery store um, or or online. Like we have a ton of subscriptions of like our core stuff, and then but then really there is like a big um, we have a, a huge following every month for these limited releases that we launch. And there's a you know because of kind of how the grocery system works, it's hard to you know, it's it, you know, basically impossible to do like a, a monthly launch. We do do seasonals with um, with a lot of retailers, which are really fun. So we can bring some of our highlights to um, to the retail story. Um, but the you know, so so to the iOS question, like it it's been a it's been a mess. Um, but like I also and I can I'll expand upon that. But like, but I also think that it's. I love the galvanizing force of it because, you know, for our brand specifically, like if you, we've always talked about like, yeah, the, the idea of hop tea is, is great, but actually the experience of it's way better and way stronger. And like our customer testing has like shown all of this where like, yeah, the idea is cool, but like when people actually try this product, that's made with such simple ingredients and has this great flavor experience, like it's so elevated. And so I see this, this push from, you know, kind of like this, this thing that's inside of a computer, right? This iOS platform for customer discovery, which is cool and all, but like, but maybe this is actually just the galvanizing push for us to do a bunch of, you know, in real life experiential stuff and try and get as many cans in hands as possible now that, you know, COVID is at least normalized theoretically. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, so you have, you have problems and I'm not the technical guy, so I, I'll do my best. Like you have problems with, um, attribution. So there's a bunch of attribution changes. So you like, it's harder to, um, to like apply a sale to an advertisement than it was before, which makes it harder to justify advertising to a degree. So we've started looking at like a holistic metric basis where it's like, how many total customers are we getting in a given month? And what is our spend? Which is harder because it's not quite as, um, like you can't get as tactical in the weeds about different things. Um, and then, um, and then there's just a fundamental like reduction in um, value creation. Like there, there is like there is there is a there's a drop in um, not just the capturing of the of the attribution, but actually the success of the advertising advertisements themselves. And you know, I was the I've been saying for six months, like looking at this thing, like how is Facebook stock as high as it is? Like this makes no sense to me. I'm so confused. And you know, finally a couple of weeks ago they had an earnings report that plummeted yeah. like 30 something percent. I'm like that that finally makes sense to me because something's like this is very, very broken and their stock is flat. It may like so so like that's like enough you need like enough to know about what's going on behind the scenes i would say is like yeah. the facebook earning, earning result um because that just means that there's less advertising revenue and less and the whole thing's less productive yeah i think you're going to see just the quality brands that have a great product that have a great brand have a great customer base like actually push through this there's been a really rush over the last year two years of like me too brands where it's like hey listen like you can tell this brand was created really quickly like for dtc and they were just like let's make this version of this but for DTC, and then they just pumped all the money into Facebook ads and, and really just lowering that customer acquisition cost and scaled really quickly. I just feel like that stage of brand building is probably gone, and it's going to be more focused on first-party data, community building, you know, experiences like you mentioned, and just like at the end of the day, the products and brands. And you're going to see kind of like less of these, you know, like I say, me too brands kind of coming into the market pumping into the DTC channel and having success really quickly. Um, CJ, are you kind of seeing that across your portfolio as well? Yeah, we are. I mean, like, I, I can't, like, I've probably reread that article that we talked about last week where, where Erewhon is actually taking an affiliate fee on subscriptions, like, five times since we did that podcast. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I am straight OCD obsessed with it because, you know, you know, to Dean's original point, like, you know, a lot of times people have always loved that virtuous cycle, which is, you know, the, the, the more retail, you know, physical retail shelf facings you get, presumably the more um, people that come organically into your, into your long-term funnel, you can turn them into subscriptions. Um, and that's, that hasn't always been 
necessarily the goal of the retailer, um, regardless of whether or not it's the goal of the brand. If, if we can find a way for everyone to row in the same direction on that, um, especially when you look at brands like Dean's that have like, frankly, like at this point, unmeasurable lifetime values is, you know, you, ha you haven't necessarily been in, in market long enough, but all signs point to your, your, your subscription and your power consumers are tremendously valuable. Um, giving a piece of that to the retailer to have them actively encouraging that subscription and, and essentially turning, you know, the best retailers in the showrooms. Um, that's, that's wild. So I, I've, I've been, I've been thinking about that nonstop since last week. Yeah. I think the moment retailers stop, like obviously retailers understand, like, listen, like my retail shelf space is valuable. And that's usually the bill that's been footed by the brands then paying for that shelf space. But like, even like we ran like a three month test at WeStock where we rented shelf space out for our brand partners at a handful of uh, retailers and it worked really well and they were all about it. And so I think like when brands and platforms can think creatively about you know, a retailer does, isn't just this rigid box of just stocking items and more like creatively, how can I approach this as a showroom for my brand or for my product or my platform? Um, it looks like they're getting more and more open to, to trying these new processes out, which is super exciting. Um, staying on this theme kind of a little bit about where everything is going, um, a, a pretty fun story was McDonald's uh, did file um, a new trademark to have... Um, um, file a trademark for a restaurant in the metaverse uh, that will actually deliver food to your home. So the cool thing is, is as you're on the platform of your choice, um, interacting in the metaverse, you can basically just walk into a McDonald's, place your order, and then the product will actually end up on your door. Um, and so it seems like uh, there's been kind of a gold rush with all these other um, similar um, restaurants doing the same thing. Panera is about to launch the Paneraverse. We have companies like Nike and other brands also looking to create digital spaces and then deliver physical products to these customers. Um, just kind of wanted to get our general thoughts on this. I think it's um, a cool application, but also really early to tell if it's going to work or not. Um, and I think it, it's really easy to be pessimistic this early on and just be like, this is another step. Like, why would I go? Like, why would I go into the metaverse, go visit a, you know, a fake McDonald's place in order to get real food? Like, when I can just open up Uber Eats. And so it's easy, I think, to be pessimistic about it. But if it does take off and we are interacting on a daily basis, you could see why having a trademark on being like the main restaurant inside the metaverse is a big opportunity. Um, so we, you know, would CJ kind of start with you and I would love to get your kind of thoughts on, on this and, and how brands can position themselves. And I think for emerging bands, you know, Dean would love to know with you after CJ, like, is this something that can even be on your radar or you're just like, Hey, listen, we got to focus on what we can, we can control now. And, you know, we'll worry about this if it becomes big enough for us to worry about. Um, but CJ, let's start with you. I mean, like, I, I think when we first started talking about NFTs, the the way I was kind of framing it up was like, hey, like I like I very much believe in that Gardner hype cycle. I think it's just basically consumer psychology graft. Um, so I, I love that there's all kinds of people trying things. I, I I do fundamentally believe in the decentralized aspects of Web three and hope that they you know hope that they come to pass. But you know, I, I'm I'm also able to realize that I think we're a little bit of the local maxima for this stuff. And like when we talk about Supergirl commercials um, a little bit later, I'll kind of make the same point. Like, you know, when you when you have these different cohorts of like you know the, the absolute cutting edge tech people and then the early adopters, when you saturate those two groups is when you tend to then fall into that trough of despair. And I think we're really close to saturating those two groups. It's, it's the reason why there was so many crypto commercials is they've, they've raised a tremendous amount of money because they've been successful over the last five years to saturate the tech evangelists and the early adopters. And now you have to cross that chasm to the, 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 the majority. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we're not seeing, like I said, a local maximum across a lot of these things simply because of adoption curve, not because of valuation. Um, and, and they're going to have to take all this money that they've raised on this potentially being a future to go out and actually build that affinity and those actual funnels that drive adoption across that. So I, I think it's great. I think everybody that tries this stuff is wonderful. I also think it's signs of a, of a kind of local topic. Got it. And then Dean, kind of your thoughts, you know, as 
someone who is not as a bigger brand as obviously Panera or Nike or something like that? Like, is this on your radar at all? Or is it just, hey, listen, I'm going to enjoy kind of like and focus on what I'm doing right now. And then at some point, maybe we can integrate this or think about this, but it can't really be on our mind right now. Well, I think the adoption curve is like, CJ talking about is like very relevant for that. Like, so if there's, you know, if, I, I don't even know, does anyone know what percentage of like the population owns an NFT or like a coin or something? Like, let's call it 5%, right? And then you take our customer set, which is, you know, strong, but it, it, like, it just gets to like not be that many people. So it's hard. Right. Um, I will say though, I was thinking about this like a different way. Like in one of the things I've noticed is, um, you know, we have, we have a physical brewery. We have a, like, we are, we're a physical company. Um, and, uh, and that's actually, that shows very well. So like when, when I, I was thinking about like, like my history with investment or investors, like if folks actually meet us in person and tour the brewery and stuff, like it's like, there, there's a, there's a really high likelihood that like, we're going to connect and bring, and bring a, bring a deal forward. And it's like, it's like almost, could that be, could that be manifested, not exactly for investors, but for like, for the brand in general, like, could we bring this concept of like the reality of our brewery to this like digital inf infrastructure? That, that seemed like interesting to me, but I don't, that's the extent of my thought. I think there's, there's some, there's some cool stuff there. I will say though, like all of your comments about like the digitalization of the metaverse, McDonald's and Panera, like, like, yeah, those could also like sound like a lot like a website to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's like the, the brands that are going to win in this space are going to approach it as not marketing and more as an experience and like building out that experience. And if they're early on, I'm sure they're going to take their lumps and they're going to have a lot of people like us saying, hey, this is you know stupid or whatever. But like if they persist and, and the adoptions there. Um, obviously the infrastructure is going to be there and I think they're going to grow pretty nicely, but I think it'll be super interesting to see how retailers and brands kind of approach this because obviously the big ones um, kind of, you know, much more different than they have acted in the past. They are not missing out on this opportunity. And usually you see bigger brands saying, Hey, listen, let's see what the first wave does. And then we'll go in and you're seeing a lot of people just say, Hey, we're going all in on this one. Um, not wanting to, you know, miss kind of a web 1.0 or web 2.0 um, kind of gold rush that there was in the past. Um, let's talk um, about Endless West next. Um, they raised $60 million to expand their molecular spirit technology. Um, I'm sure as two people that really love flavor profiles, the whole process of, you know, tasting different things, building out, um, yeah, you know, kind of the, the core uh, of how you're making products on a daily basis, probably have strong thoughts about this. I found myself, we did an episode like two episodes ago, I think I got um, back on Canna, which was a basically a digital printer for beverages. And I read that and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And I read this and I was like, the Anthony Bourdain like side of me was like, oh, this is like spitting and like the artistry of like making like, you know, all these old school spirits. And like, this is like kind of gross. And I found myself having a much more visceral uh, response to this article than the Canna article, which I found interesting. So we'd love to talk to both of you guys. Uh, Dean, we can kind of start with you on this one, but we'd love to get your thoughts on on this kind of the, you know, you're obviously out there raising money for your product and stuff, but I, I'm, I'm just going to speak for both of us. I don't know if you raised $95 million and you probably have a lot more sales. Nope. So I would be kind of interested in your feedback, kind of reading about these, um, you know, food tech or beverage tech companies and, and what they're doing in the space. Well, and I'll tell you, it's all fascinating to me. I'll tell you, it was more than reading. So I saw your email come across that topic and I was, I was um, about to leave Whole Foods. And so I jumped over to the liquor store locally here and grabbed a bottle of it. So I tasted wow. it. Um, Cause for me, it's all about like, it's all about taste experience. Like our company, the entire foundation is around real ingredients, real product creation by us, real amazing flavor experience, like capturing that essence of the real ingredient. Um, you can imagine my opinion on this. Um, so, <laughs> so like we will never, we will never use a natural flavor in a product ever. Um, not even this company doesn't matter what I do. I can say that out loud. I will never use a natural flavor. Like the idea of a thing as opposed to the actual thing itself, um, is just totally disconnected with my experience of food and beverage. And so, um, so that being said, I tried it. Um, and I, I can see what they're going for. Um, I think that like it, um, and I am a urban 
historical bourbon consumer, I am like, I'm, I'm pretty versed in this flavor experience. Um, I am doing a sober February. So like it, I was planning on spitting it out anyway. <laughs> so like maybe don't read too much into that, but it was, um, it was, it was like, it, it's hard. Cause I, I, I drink a lot of like natural flavor created, um, uh, non-alcoholic beverages. Um, so like the idea, so like a, a liars or something like I try a lot of things and it really did kind of just taste like that with vodka in it. Um, which was like what I was hoping it wasn't. Um, but, um, but if, you know, maybe they're like really onto something, that's a ton of money. Maybe there's some tech there that like, that I don't understand or didn't really translate to the specific taste experience that I had. Um, but it, I'm going to be hard pressed to be someone who's excited about, again, like faking it, the Anthony Bourdain model, like, you know, yeah. one of my idols, right? So it's, it's, yeah, that's tough for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we, CJ, we touched on it like before, but it's like, you have like the, you know, the right rice kind of sale who raised like tens of millions of dollars, then sold for 9 million. And they raised that money prior to kind of going into the market, testing the product. And now you see kind of endless West. And then also like Cometeer too, where it's like in our little network of CPG kind of like um, people that like always trying new products, like, yeah, this is going to blow up, but it's like, yeah, this might actually not ever have a massive adoption, you know, in the masses and, and actually take off here. Um, what are your kind of concerns? What was your feedback as, you know, as a purist like Dean, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll start by saying I love spirits. And I also concede that there have been billions of dollars spent to drill into your head subconsciously that the artisanal nature of spirits is important. Um, so they, 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 have, they, have, they have a big uphill battle um, and I have to be a little careful because I know Alec very well and my roommate from college is their director of innovation um, so, so like, I got, I've, I got, I've been in that lab and I, I, you know even years ago kind of before they started doing these big rounds and like it, it is very cool what they're doing like you 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 know you see some of these books where people are like hey where are our flying cars like where are our food replicators like what they have in their lab is as close to like a Star Trek food replicator as it gets. Now it's not instant, but like I've tasted the chocolate that they've made. I've tasted um, the wine, the sake, like they've made a lot of things. And I, I think they are searching for a business model and they, and they have a really strong sustainability story. Like they're, they're, you know, if you look at chocolate and coffee and, and even, and even brown spirits, there is definitely a, you know, in, in the fact that there's that much working capital, there is a degradation from a, from a sustainability standpoint. And that's, I, I think, where they're trying to really make their way. And we'll just see is they can create something that for many consumers is as good. And, and you have to remember that the, the person who's drinking a bottle of Pappies or, or their favorite cult bottle of like Laws whiskey in, in, in Colorado that is incredibly oriented towards product integrity might be different from the person who's drinking rum and coke um, pre-mixed. Yep. And so, and so like what, what, what they can do is go and offer and say, Hey, we have, we have the TTB regulations saying we're the real thing. So, and your consumer probably isn't fanatic about their eight year, hundred percent corn bourbon mash bill. Um, so I, I, I think a lot of this has to depend on for, for who. Um, and and while, while Glyph, which is their whiskey, was always intended to be kind of an interesting proof of concept, that was never intended to be what this $95 million is oriented for. Like, like yeah. getting, getting, getting Brown Foreman worldwide to use their formulation in their canned Jack and sodas is the ultimate win here. Um, and, and I think that's possible. And can and and I, I think Alec would be the first to admit that that it's not the same as something that's been eight, eight years in barrel, but he's trying to solve a different problem. No, I, I can totally appreciate that. And I, at those canned cocktails, like it's kind of already happening there anyway, right? It's a it's a spirit with some natural flavor, and it, like it's already kind of being that way. So like getting the um, getting the base liquid to be more environmentally efficient i didn't know that that's really cool um and and like having that just just drawing the boundary condition around what you're looking at um like modifying or creating differently i think that does um that does make a ton of sense the but compete yeah, competing with like like 
yeah, aged bourbon is. Well, and here's the thing, like, and, and I, this is why they're driving so much venture investment is you just have to think through the thought process of, of what happens if the average Chinese consumer develops a taste for American whiskey um, and, and, and the feedback loop necessary to actually meet that demand. Yep. Um, if you want to go through the full four-year process of bourbon, like, like, like you know, if, if, if the Indian or, you know, Brazilian or Chinese consumer, any, any one of these mega states continues on the path, it seems, on, on the American whiskey adoption, suddenly Endless West from a VC standpoint could be very, very successful. That doesn't mean that I have to personally enjoy the product, but I understand the market they're trying to serve. It's cool. Yeah, because I think if you're, if I mean, from everything that kind of read and understand, like if the environmental kind of aspect is the main difference, right? And kind of what they're positioning for as a day-to-day, is that kind of, am I getting that right or no? Well, here's, here's the thing is like, and this is a conversation I had with someone recently about water bottles. I was like, unfortunately, I have yet to see a lot of vote with dollars data that people are willing to, to really materially change their habits for something more sustainable. <laughs> so like, like if, 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 you, if you ask the capitalist in CJ, I would say Endless West will be successful because their costs are less for a given volume of what you can TTB call spirits yep. and, yeah. and that will serve a role. Whether or not it is positioned from a sustainability aspect is unfortunately secondary to whether or not it's going to work, in my opinion. But I would also love to be wrong and for all of a sudden like a way bigger cohort to start voting with their dollars. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we really only have one use case of like people transitioning to that and it's because it's also become a status symbol and it's also something you use every day with your car and probably Tesla. But like a one-off purchase of like, okay, am I going to really save the world by changing up my drink. It might be hard for that consumer to go through that. But if you're telling me like, hey, listen, eventually at scale, they're going to be on to undercut prices by 10, 15%, then yeah, of course, like that's that's the play. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Dean, with, with having you on, one thing I wanted to chat with you about and you know, kind of CJ as well is like um, the supply the supply chain issues that are kind of continuing. Um, you know, I talk, I think I do probably 30 demos a week with brands and it's whether like, Hey, we can't find cans or we can't find this ingredient, or now my, I'm going to increase my prices to the retailer. It just seems like a constant problem. And it isn't a huge problem for the bigger accounts that can kind of handle um, that, but it seems like kind of for the smaller midsize emerging brands, if they are really starting to fill it and they're going to continue to fill it here for the next couple of months. So I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on kind of everything that's going on there. Um, and then, you know, CJ, we can kind of touch on it with you as well. But um, I thought it was kind of important to have this conversation with you here, um, just because so many brands have asked us about it. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's very real. Um, and, there, and there's two major impacts. Like one is, can you get the stuff? And the other is, what is it going to cost you if you can get it? And, and that's what, you know, talking with a bunch of my friends and talking to, you know, various folks talking about, you know, COGS, material COGS increases of you know, 35% or something, it's it, like, it is going to drive up like increase in prices on shelf. We're, we're doing whatever we can to not do that because we, you know, we, but, but it's, you know, we'll see how it shakes. Um, you know, we've been really lucky. Our supply chain is very simple um, from, a, you know, we don't have that many ingredients perspective. Um, Pacific Northwest hops were contracted just like a regular kind of large medium brewery. Um, and then, um, and then a lot of our tea comes from uh, uh, Sri Lanka, India, Egypt, like that. That's all been a little challenging, but the beauty of shipping tea in its, you know, tea form is it's pretty light and pretty small. So, so we were able to do, like we've been, I would say ahead of the curve on that. The can side is tough. Like what Ball did um, and it's been delayed, but still like they're, they're increasing, you know, imagine this like minimum printing of a million cans for, a uh, for a smaller startup beverage company, like that's insane. Like a, it's like either you know, you'd have to outlay a huge amount of cash, and then you have to store those cans, and and that's just per skew. Like it's it's a little wild. So we've been having to be creative and inventive in how we've done the canning thing. But luckily, we're at a certain scale where we're it hasn't affected us as much as some smaller companies I've heard about. But um, 
but it's tough. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough. And, and so then you go into more of a secondary market on cans. And I've heard this from a number of folks that then that drives up pricing to get you know the right label on it and all that. So I, I feel for kind of brands that are starting up in this moment, I think that, um, and, I, and I can see why I did, the, I did this thing, I joked, I hadn't placed a uh, Whole Foods delivery order in a while. Um, and I actually had a, I had a cart full of stuff. Um, this is maybe from December. And, um, and I, uh, I went to, and I just kind of like adjusted a bunch of things this past weekend, but I went to place the order. It was essentially the same order. Um, and what happened when I went to check out was I got this error message in cart and then it listed all of the prices that had changed over the past two months. I hope you screenshot that. Kind of a wild thing to do. I didn't, but I'm like, actually, this is a tactic. I'm just going to put everything in the store in my cart. <laughs> I'm going to start every two months to see and see who raises prices. But the um, uh, it was startling. I, I actually had Allison, like my wife, come over. And I'm like, you got to see this. This is crazy. <laughs> um, how many things out of the you know not that much stuff in our cart had gone up substantially in price, um, like fifteen or twenty percent, not just micro dollars. So, um, so that's all very real. Um, it's hardest on energy brands because you're trying to, you know, as we think about price increases, like we don't want to limit our audience. Um, we don't want to, you know, reduce the sales velocity. Like that's all big deal stuff for us. So, you know, we do what we can to not do it, but it's, um, so then you have, you know, margin compression and it's, it's tough. So it's not, it's not the easiest moment in time um, for, you know, for, for early stage brands, that's for sure. Do you think it's easier or harder um... Like you know, right now, from the, some of the brands that you're talking in the space, obviously you own your own production. But is it harder if you don't own your own production? Are you seeing like if you're using a co-packer? Yes, I think so. It seems okay. to be the case. Like it, it, it is. I do constantly kind of call it our superpower because a both like, and we can we can we have a really fast R and D to finish product cycle um, that allows us to be kind of cutting edge and also really creative. Um, and then we've also um, like our whip and our finished goods product like we, we just have a more kind of more efficient um like production uh infrastructure in general so that's been that's been really helpful um but at the same time it's not like it's not the silver bullet like we still see price increases like cans went up dramatically in january so it's um but yeah i, I feel for brands that are both like having to navigate this negotiate with a co-packer think about order minimums. Um, it's just, it, it can just be really hard. It's just really hard right now. Well, I think too, yeah, sorry. Like, I mean, like I'll, I'll brag on Dean's behalf, like his superpower is not just that, that they own their own production. It's that they, they thoughtfully built the product to already have a fairly, you know, a fairly fantastic gross margin. And then on top of that, it's it's in a it's it's in a category that doesn't have an automatic, you know, large, well-funded supplier that that they're trying to, to benchmark their pricing against. So like 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 all all, all those levers that I think are giving a lot of brands uh, emerging brands a hard time right now. Like 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 and this isn't luck. Like Dean built this machine to be able to do this. I don't think you knew that there was going to be a COVID, but you built a machine that was incredibly like anti-fragile because of those the intertwined those three things. What what really struck me about that article that you sent though is that it actually wanted to highlight debt, um, and and I and I don't think I thought through this um, until I read the article. But it's it's a really good point that like when you have a supply chain disruption like this, like a lot of times you have like a, a bifurcation, like the the bigger get bigger because they're applying on scale and the smaller have you know have, have more to run and catch up so I, I when you look at the majority of the of the way the capital structure changed throughout COVID a lot of people whether it's retailers or small brands or distributors added debt that might be untenable um, if, if if they're not able to service that debts and uh, it just goes right back to like debt is a lever that you can actually like thoughtfully pull and hop on because of all those other things owning your own production having pricing power, et cetera. And like, it just goes to show that like, like thinking through a business model beforehand is extremely important because now you're having a lot of emerging brands. So I think maybe layered too much debt on as well. And if, if their sales aren't there, it's um, like it's upside down quick. Totally, yeah. I think, you're, I think you're right on the on the pricing side. Like for us, it was 
it was kind of magical to not have like it's both it's both a challenge to not have that category captain and it's you know it's magical from a pricing perspective so there is there's good and bad but um but yeah we've been lucky i will say like the thing i say is like the, the thing i knew i'm not a beverage industry person food industry person like the thing i knew going into this was manufacturing so it was, it was kind of by default that we were gonna we were gonna own our own manufacturing yeah, you, you knew the hard part, so that's good. Um, all right, cool. We'll wrap it. Since we're up against the hour, really rapid fire, let's just like kind of say maybe the Super Bowl commercial that stuck out the most. I think for a lot of people, it will be my choice. It will be the Coinbase one with QR code. Uh, they went from like the like really like I think over 150 in terms of like uh, the, the, the number that they are in terms of downloads in the app store to number two. Um, and so obviously the ROI on that ad was, was pretty high and they got a ton of new downloads. Um, so that was great to see. And then as a big Cable Guy fan, I was excited to see the Jim Carrey Cable Guy commercials. So uh, shout out to that one as well. Uh, Dean, how about you? Yeah, similar. I mean, I thought I thought Coinbase was was pretty brilliant, um, audacious. Like I, I I really like that stuff. Um, I saw I, I I don't know if it played nationwide. I, I know it played in California, but after the fact, I saw the Liquid Death commercial. I thought they did a really good job of just like the little kids chugging water and like catching people's attention. So I was, I was really into that. Um, uh, and, and the rest of it, I don't know. I was like, I had hyped it up for my kids um, who are now of like an age to be really interested in it. And they were like, Dad, these are lame. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. It's like a bunch of like dated um, references to Austin Powers and stuff. So they weren't really into it. Yeah, it was like the bunch of jokes. So like everyone in their like 30s, early 40s was like, oh right. shit, we're the key demographic. Now. All the people <laughs> with money. Yep. Yeah. Uh, CJ, how about you? Well, I mean, you, you actually hit on what, like, I mean, what I was overall shocked by was like, this is almost like the lagging indicator. Like you guys hear me kind of talk all the time. I'm like, okay, like millennials are now on average fully in the workforce. They're in their highest marginal spending years. Like, like this, this is the lagging indicator proof. Like when, when, when you, when half the people are writing on their Instagram or Twitter, we're like, oh, best halftime show I've ever seen. Well, yeah, because it was pure millennial nostalgia. <laughs> there was a Scrubs commercial. There was a, a right. cable guy commercial. I mean, cable guy, like that was a tiny movie. Like, like all, all these things that are clearly showing, okay, like everyone's talked about these trends in the millennial consumer for a long time now that it almost feels like it's old hat. But I, I, I think a lot of people aren't prepared for like this being kind of like the clear inflection point of like, all right, like all spending is going to be millennials from now on. Like the, the, the boomer cohort is aging out and they're going to yeah. they're going to reduce their marginal spend. So everything that's important to millennials, whether it's crypto or, or, or better for you, all these trends like they like I think a lot of people think, are like, oh, well, how long can the better for you trend and authenticity and natural ingredients really go? Like I'm about to double down on it. Like, right. that, 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 that Super Bowl jazzed me up. Like girl, members of like this. This is a clear point. These trends aren't going away for decades. Um, so I, I just in general, I was I was really pleased by how millennial focused it was. And uh, the liquid death one, you know, was I mean, you know I'm a fanboy. Like I, I loved that a lot of people were bagging on it. Like oh my god, you can't show kids like potentially getting too hyped up. I was like it's water. <laughs> Chill the yep. fuck out. But like they still manage to do their liquid death thing, which is piss some people off and get other people really happy. And that's why they sell so much water. Yeah, I thought, I mean, we, we talk about this coming a lot, but GoPuff also did a quarter time show where it was only a couple minutes long in between the first and second quarter. And you had to log on to Twitter to watch it. And it was little, uh, little Dickie and Cardi B that did it. So that was kind of a cool concept where it was like, hey, listen, we do fast delivery. We're going to do a fast show. Uh, so I thought that, that was a cool concept. But yeah, the, a lot we touched on a lot today. Uh, Dean, thanks so much for, for dropping in. We appreciate the support and uh, we will see everybody next week. Awesome. Cheers.